Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to episode 53 of the podcast. Today, we're going to have a look at the antagonist, the villain we love to hate, the character whose success in your story is critical to the whole project working. From Darth Vader to Professor Moriarty, from Lord Voldemort to Cruella de Vil, the great antagonist really makes a story. As readers, we want to see their downfall at the end, but on the way, we want to enjoy those characters. We want to love to hate them, and we can be fascinated as they contend with the protagonist during the course of the story. So who is the antagonist? How does that character work with their counterpart, the protagonist? And what are the practical steps we can take as writers to create a great antagonist? So let's start with that first question. Who is the antagonist and what is their function in the story? Well, the best way to define the antagonist is in terms of their primary function, which is to contend with and oppose the protagonist. And if you forget everything else that I say in this podcast today, the one thing that you should try and remember and focus on is that that is the critical objective for your antagonist. They have to oppose the protagonist. This is not an optional character trait or a feature. This is a must have. And to see how this is true, can you imagine if during the Lord of the Rings, for example, Sauron had turned around to the Fellowship and said, okay guys, you keep the ring. I can make another one. In fact, you can have the whole of Middle Earth. I'm not too fussed. I'm going to retire now. Or can you imagine if you know Pride and Prejudice, Lady Catherine de Burr, the best antagonist by a mile in that book, and the woman who would stand between Elizabeth and Darcy, just turning around and saying, oh, go on then, you two, get together, you make a lovely couple. Or if Voldemort had decided to apologise for all his misdeeds, allow himself to be locked up in Azkaban, and just let Harry and his friends run the Wizarding World. None of that was going to happen, and if it had, the story would have collapsed. Your success in being able to define and exploit that opposition between the antagonist and the protagonist are a critical factor in the overall success of your story. So let's explore this relationship between the protagonist and the antagonist a bit further and keep in mind this critical requirement that these two characters stand in opposition with each other. Now we can take a traditional view of these two characters which is that the antagonist is the bad guy, the enemy of the good guy, the protagonist. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, most of the really great stories that exist have been pitched around the fulcrum of good versus evil, protagonist versus antagonist. But because the main function of the antagonist is to oppose the protagonist, the good versus evil theme of any story is in fact a byproduct of that contention. It's not the critical thing. So our focus therefore should not be on the conflict between good and evil in a story. It should be on retaining and sharpening the personal conflict between these two characters. Now for sure that will often manifest itself as good versus evil, but it's the conflict that's key. In his excellent book, Solutions for Writers, Solstein talks about the crucible, where these characters contend with each other. And a crucible, of course, is a container that holds different elements together as the temperature rises. And your plot needs to be like this crucible, so that as the pressure increases in your story, still your protagonist and antagonist would rather oppose each other than run away. They continue to want to do that even as the pressure creeps up, even as the tension rises, even as the conflict intensifies. 
And another reason why we need to think in terms of the contention between the protagonist and the antagonist, rather than simply good versus evil, is because so often the moral choices taken by the protagonist and the antagonist are a little bit ambiguous. They're not good and evil. They can seem just a little bit subjective sometimes. A character who seems supportive of the protagonist might actually become the antagonist later in the story. The protagonist themselves might make some decisions which, when we look at as readers, we think, really, would you do that? And all of these issues can come into play, particularly where we see more than one antagonist or where that role is taken on by different characters during the course of the story. And I'll have a little bit more to say about that later. So if you keep in mind the fact that the character or characters who oppose the protagonist become the antagonist, then you can use this as a guide in your story. And with it, you can explore all kinds of plot and character twists and developments. Let me give you a couple of examples. In the Hunger Games series, President Coyne becomes the antagonist, certainly in terms of her opposition to the values and principles that Katniss holds dear. Even though the main antagonist during most of the series is President Snow, the author of the Hunger Games series, Suzanne Collins, is able to explore the protagonist-antagonist relationship and engage us, the reader, by bringing Katniss to the point where she would rather shoot President Coyne than President Snow. A second example, in the final book of the Harry Potter series, Draco Malfoy's mother, Narcissa, seems to be on Voldemort's side as she and her husband Lucius serve the Dark Lord. But her love for her family, and especially her son, leads her to make a moral choice which protects and supports Harry after he has confronted Voldemort in the woods outside Hogwarts. This act is really a betrayal of the Dark Lord, and in that moment she ceases to be any kind of antagonist to Harry Potter, and the story is enriched by it. Now, it's these subtle twists in motivation and the consequent actions of characters that can make a story attractive and compelling for readers. Now, in the last episode, I talked about character development and the character arc of the protagonist, so I want to touch on that a little bit in this episode as well. The most potent and interesting conflicts between protagonist and antagonist are personal and occur where each party has something in common with the other. They're bound together in some way. If you think of Harry Potter and Lord Voldemort, for example, they are bound by the encounter they have when Harry is just a baby. Now, this brings us to the issue of how much of a character arc the antagonist should have. In the last episode of the Creative Writers Tool Belt, I talked about character development and the character arc for the protagonist. But one would also have to think, therefore, does the antagonist have an opportunity to develop their character? Now, my own view is that the antagonist can have some character development if the story warrants it, but they are constrained because they have to keep to their primary objective, which is to oppose the protagonist. And the protagonist can change and develop both internally and externally. They can be impacted by challenges that face them, but the antagonist has to be there to present those challenges. The antagonist is constrained by the fact that they have to oppose the protagonist all the way through. So essentially the antagonist already has their role mapped out and therefore the scope for them to develop is a little bit limited. Now that said, there are a couple of examples where the antagonist can develop their character. First example, the antagonist might take on that role during the course of the story so, for example, in Peter Schaeffer's stage play Amadeus, which is about the life of Mozart, another composer, Salieri, becomes jealous during the course of the story and becomes the antagonist. 
Another example which we've already touched on is President Coyne. She seems to be on the side of and supportive of Katniss Everdeen, but at the end, certainly in terms of Katniss's worldview, she becomes the antagonist. And I think there are two ways in which a character can become the antagonist. They can degenerate and retreat into despair, as Salieri does, or they can maintain what they think is the strong and correct vision, but that vision can become perverted in some way. And then there are occasions where the antagonist simply ceases to become the antagonist. They just stop opposing the protagonist. And as soon as they do that, because of the critical nature of that purpose, they, they cease to become the antagonist. And a good example of this is right at the end of the Star Wars film, The Return of the Jedi, that's episode three, where Anakin Skywalker, who has become Darth Vader, is reconciled to Luke. And at that point, he simply ceases to become the antagonist. Generally though, the scope for the antagonist to develop as a character is more limited. It's possible, but that development must be subservient to the need for the antagonist to oppose the protagonist to create that tension and conflict. So let's move on and think about how we can create a great antagonist character. We've established that the antagonist must oppose the protagonist, and we've looked at some examples of how to play with and subvert that dynamic. But what is the antagonist actually like? What are the practical steps we can take as writers to create an antagonist who is effective in their primary role, but is also interesting and believable and compelling as a character in themselves? To answer this, let's come back for a moment to this issue of good characters versus evil characters. The character who is evil just for the sake of it, without any deeper motivation or context, turns out to be quite boring. If your antagonist simply wants to amass power and wealth just for the sake of it, or if they're a person who delights in evil with no sense of why they're doing that or what has motivated them, then actually they're not particularly interesting as characters. They might make a passable character, but the reader knows that people do not become who they are without some reason, some context. And if that's missing, it weakens the potency of the character significantly. The same is true of the protagonist as well, of course. Like evil, the character who is simply good in the abstract sense will not necessarily make a great character. And all of this gives us a clue as to what makes a convincing and fascinating antagonist. And here are five practical suggestions that I've got to help you create that kind of character. First of all, as I've already implied from what I've just been saying, the antagonist must have a context and a backstory that convinces the reader that there are valid reasons why they are who they are. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. The antagonist, like the protagonist, should have characteristics that complement their worldview. Their appearance, mannerisms, attitude and features must complement their vision of the world. So, for example, again, Lady Catherine de Boeuf from Pride and Prejudice must have the status and the personality and even the dress to deliver an effective opposition to Elizabeth and Darcy's plans to get together. Darth Vader's appearance in the Star Wars films is not an accident. He looks menacing. He looks dark because that complements his role. In Dodie Smith's book, The 101 Dalmatians, the antagonist, Cruella de Vil, is a fantastic character and she is presented in the book as an indulged, fur-wearing heiress living in a garishly furnished flat in London. So you can see how characteristics, dress, attitudes, mannerisms, all of these things should complement the antagonist's role. Third thing, the antagonist must believe that what they're doing is right. 
and it must seem consistent and reasonable in their eyes. We, the readers, must understand what that desire is and why the antagonist acts as they do. We don't need to like what they're doing. We certainly don't need to approve of what they're doing, but we must understand why they act as they do. Fourth thing, the protagonist-antagonist conflict will be all the more potent if it's personal. Think about how much more edge Star Wars had because Luke and Darth Vader are son and father. Finally, your antagonist can, and perhaps should, have some virtues. They can be impeccably dressed. They can be possessed of perfect manners. They can seem generous to people around them. The more reasonable they are, the better. These virtues can paper over the deeper and more passionate and darker desires that they have. For example, in her recent book, The House of Shattered Wings, Aliette de Baudard presents one of her antagonists, Asmodeus, as impeccably dressed and impeccably mannered. And yet, he is the best antagonist, the most vicious and evil character in the whole book. So there are five things to bear in mind when you're creating your antagonist. And finally, I want to have a look at the question of whether you can have more than one antagonist. And an initial look at some of the great stories in the world would suggest that they work best with just one antagonist. But it is in fact possible to have more than one, especially if, as we've discussed, your character's loyalties and choices change during the course of the story. So certainly you can have one main antagonist who is then supported by others. These can come in the form of the faithful sidekick, anything from Jafar's sidekick Iago in the Disney version of Aladdin to the Ring Wraiths or even Saruman in the Lord of the Rings. You could try pitching two minor antagonists against each other. Think Kylo Ren versus General Hux in a new Star Wars film. And this device of minor antagonists fighting against each other works particularly well when both of them want to impress the main antagonist. We can also see examples where an antagonist is working against the protagonist in a more personal way within the larger context of the story. For example, if you think of Gollum in The Lord of the Rings, he has his own battle with Frodo. He takes on the role of antagonist personally to Frodo with the ring. He's not the main antagonist, but he appears in the story in that particular context as an opposition to Frodo. So let's sum up what we've discussed today. Well, first of all, and most importantly, the antagonist must oppose the protagonist. That's their core function. It might be a function which is taken up by different characters during the course of a story. It might be taken up by characters in different ways during the story. But at its heart, the role of the antagonist is to oppose and contend with the protagonist. Focusing on this conflict, rather than traditional good versus evil, will allow the characters to make morally ambiguous choices, and it will allow you to explore this protagonist-antagonist conflict. It will also allow the characters to change and develop during the story. And this leads us to think about the antagonist's character arc. The antagonist can develop as a character, but that development is very constrained by the overriding need to keep up their opposition with the protagonist. So how do we create a good antagonist? Well, the hallmarks I think of a great antagonist are that they have a backstory that supports and explains their current worldview, that their characteristics complement who they are, and that their worldview and their vision and desire are at odds with the protagonist in as personal a way as possible. And finally, that antagonist can have some on-the-surface virtues that seem to paper over and in fact contrast with their deeper, darker passions. And finally, there can be more than one antagonist, with minor antagonists supporting the main antagonist, or perhaps vying for his or her affections or attention as they present different paths to the antagonist's vision. 
So I hope all of this has been helpful. As ever, there are show notes for this episode on Pinterest. Go to pinterest.com and look up the Creative Writers Toolbelt. You can join us on Goodreads. That's goodreads.com. Look up the Creative Writers Toolbelt there. I'm on Twitter. The handle is at Writers Toolbelt. And you can drop me a line anytime. It's andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com. In this episode, I've referred to the following works. Solutions for Writers by Sol Stein, which is published by Souvenir Press. The Hunger Games series by Suzanne Collins, published by Scholastic. The Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling, published by Bloomsbury. The Star Wars film franchise. The 101 Dalmatians by Dodie Smith, published by Barnes Noble. The House of Shattered Wings by Aliette de Bodart, published by Galance. So that's it for this episode. I hope you found all of this useful. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you again for listening and goodbye. Mm